Hello and welcome to episode 175 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Saturday, April 30th, 2022. Continuing with the book Devotion to the Precious Blood by Father M.F. Walls, this is part one of Devotion to the Precious Blood, its nature and practice. Although the blood of Jesus, even when separated from his body in the Passion, was divine and adorable by reason of the hypostatic union with the divinity, devotion to the precious blood does not now consist in the veneration of the material, corporal blood, separated from his body or sprinkled over his limbs, his garments, or the instruments of his Passion. The immediate object of this devotion is first and foremost Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us with his blood. Christum Dei Filium, qui sonos redemit, sanguine venite adoremos. If we could turn away from the person of Jesus Christ and venerate his sacred blood, apart from him who shed it out of love for us, our devotion would be false and would lead to all kinds of extravagance. In all such devotions, Jesus Christ himself must be the central figure of our thoughts and our worship. In our devotion to the precious blood, therefore, we represent to ourselves Jesus Christ in the livery of his passion, his sacred blood oozing from every pore and trickling to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. We think of him at the pillar of scourging, his body torn with lashes and covered with blood, like a garment sprinkled with blood. We behold the man before the praetorium with the blood of the crowning with thorns, reddening his pale temples, pouring over his face and neck, and drop down on the tattered robe of mockery. We follow to Golgotha, the bleeding cross-bearer, marking the royal way of the cross with his blood. Standing beneath the cross, we worship our Savior in the greatest ardor of his love, in the very act of accomplishing our redemption. And we contemplate with a contrite and grateful heart the fountains of salvation opened in his sacred hands and feet and side, and sending forth streams of mercy and love to cleanse, to heal, and to nourish the weak and sinful soul of fallen man. From the fact that our Lord appears to saintly souls here on earth with his blood flowing from his thorn-crowned head and his five wounds, we may infer that he is pleased to have us contemplate him, thus in the devotion to his precious blood. With regard to those who receive the stigmata or bloody wounds of our Savior's passion, in their bodies, the learned Father Poulain of the Society of Jesus writes, as a rule, they had visions in keeping with the part of fellow sufferers with Jesus Christ our Lord showing himself to them in the blood-stained garments of his passion. This devotion has for its chief object him who cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this beautiful one in his robe, walking in the greatness of his strength, as the prophet Isaiah had foreseen him, aflame with love as a combating hero, gaining a victory for our freedom in his blood. In the imperishable and rosate adornment of his bleeding wounds, our Lord reveals the inextinguishable flames of love that burn for us in his merciful heart. Behold and consider the rose of the bloody passion, how it glows as a mark of the most ardent love. Love and suffering contend with each other. Love to burn more, suffering to bleed more. The rose of love would be crimsoned in suffering, and the rose of suffering would glow in the fire of love. Behold how in this rosy attire our best vine bloomed, Jesus crimsoned with blood 
Consider his whole body and see if you do not recognize the bloom of the blood red rose. Look at one hand and then at the other. Do you not observe the red rose in each? Behold one foot and then the other. Are they not rose colored? Contemplate the pierced side. The rose is not wanting there. Oh, what a stream of blood flowed from the deep wounds of his sacred body. In this fount of his sacred body, our rose is dyed and glows in deepest crimson hues. For most ardently did love's fires burn when suffering revealed itself in the crimson red. In the greatness of the torment, you behold the greatness of love. The rose glitters with a twofold light before you. It is fiery in its love and blood red in its suffering. By the flames of love, suffering is purpled. For if there were no love, there would not be this suffering. And again, from this blood red of torment, love radiates in its fullness and glory. St. Bernard. It was the blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross that was the immediate cause of the redemption of mankind. The words of the great apostle are as follows. Sine sanguinis effusione non fit remissio. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22. And elsewhere, in a still more explicit manner, in quo habemus redemptionem per sanguinum eus, remissionem peccatorum, in whom we have redemption through his blood remission of sins, Colossians 1.14. Devotion to the precious blood, therefore, must be focused on the great sacrifice of the cross, the culmination of our Lord's life and mission here on earth. Now the holy sacrifice of the Mass is a renewal of our Lord's bloody passion and death on the cross. When at the Last Supper Jesus converted bread and wine into his sacred body and blood, he did not change both at the same time, nor under one form but changed each separately and under two distinct forms. He might have said the words, this is my body and my blood over the bread. Had he done so, the bread would have been truly his living body and blood, but he would not thus have manifested his death to us in so clear a manner. He chose, therefore, first to change the bread only by virtue of the words of consecration into his sacred body and give it to his disciples to eat, and afterwards the wine into his sacred blood, and give it also separately to his disciples. And by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he has taught his church to ordain that the priest should first change the bread into his sacred body and elevate it, and then proceed to change the wine into his blood and elevate that also separately, to bring his death more definitely before the minds of the people. On, the subject, on this subject, Lencisius says, because in the order of nature, dissolution follows upon the total separation of the blood from the body, this being the immediate cause of Christ's death upon the cross, the manner in which he chose to accomplish the sacrifice of himself, therefore, in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, his death is likewise set forth by the separation of his body from his blood. Thus, by the words of consecration, his body becomes present under the form of bread, his blood beneath that of the wine, each distinct and apart from the other. This is a true immolation of Christ, wherein the substances of bread and wine are changed and annihilated. In the Mass, as will be explained further on, the precious blood of Christ is mystically shed for us. It cries for mercy and pleads for us. Our souls are sprinkled with it, and it is offered as a sweet odor in the sight of God. In all this, as well as in the separate consecration of the chalice at Mass, we have a reason for a particular devotion to the precious blood. Hence, devotion to the precious blood leads us, in the second place, to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the center of Catholic worship, and teaches us a better appreciation of the Eucharistic body of 
Eucharistic blood of Christ. In his passion, our Lord's apparel was red. And in the church, his garments are still like theirs that tread in the winepress. Because in the mass, Christ always living to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25, is continually offered, not merely by the word of the priest, nor by the elevation of the adorable sacrament, but in a manner in which he mystically suffers, is immolated and slain. St. Gregory says, although Christ dies not again, yet he suffers again for us in the sacrifice of the Mass, after a mysterious mystical manner. For although in the Holy Mass Christ does not suffer physically pain or death, yet he displays himself to his heavenly Father under the same pitiable appearance which he presented when scourged, crowned with thorns and crucified, and this as distinctly as if he were again enduring these tortures in reality for the sins of the world. The church, as well as every follower of Christ, must here below pass through her holy week, must endure a bloody sweat on the Mount of Olives, and upon Calvary, she must abide the torment of the cross. She must struggle and combat, labor and suffer, endure and bleed. In a word, like our Lord's life, hers too must be a constant sacrifice of love and a sacrifice of suffering. The bloody and unbloody martyrdom is a prominent feature and a special characteristic of the Catholic Church, by which she resembles her divine master and founder and is distinguished from all religious sects. The sacrifice of the cross is the primary source, which at the altar in the mass gushes forth anew day by day to refill continually the channels of the sacraments, which bring to us the saving waters of redemption. Inasmuch as on the altar the same sacrifice is offered as was offered on the cross, we may designate the Mass, also the sacrificial source, whence flow the sacramental streams of grace and salvation. Like the sacraments, the sacramentals are also connected with the Eucharistic sacrifice and source of blessings, from which they, in a certain sense, draw their salutary efficacy. For on the altar in the Holy Mass, that stream of blood and water from Golgotha continues to flow, in whose flood the earth, the sea, the starry firmament, and a word, the universe is cleansed, that is, touched with the blessing of redemption, and led on to its future transformation. Undamanet et cruor, terapontis astra mundus quolaventur flumine. Blood, says St. Thomas, is more specially the image of our Lord's passion than the body. Hence, devotion to the precious blood is eminently designed to bring home to our minds and hearts our Savior's great love for us in his passion and in the Mass. I lay down my life for my sheep. This our Lord does constantly in the Eucharistic sacrifice. Devotion to the precious blood receives its inspiration from Holy Writ, from Genesis to the Apocalypse, from the patriarch Jacob, who prophesies of the Messiah. He shall wash his robes in wine and his garment in the blood of the grape. Genesis 49, to St. John who writes, Blessed are they that wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in by the gates into the city. Apocalypse twenty-two fourteen. Jesus shed his sacred blood that we may have more abundant life and of his fullness we have all received. His precious blood is a divine gulf stream that changes the climate of our cold and barren hearts and fills them with the breath of heaven, making them throb with divine love and rendering them a paradise of virtues. Ravishingly beautiful is the garden of the church, where bloom the violets of humility, where the lilies of purity shine brightly and the roses of martyrdom glow. 
But whence do these noble heavenly plants draw their life sap, their nourishment, their growth, their perfume, and their bright colors, chiefly from the Eucharistic sacrifice and fountain of grace? The fountains of the Savior, which in the garden of the church unceasingly flow on thousands of altars, irrigate and fructify the soil, refresh and strengthen the tender shoots, and cause the seed of virtue to blossom and ripen. If the just man flourishes like the palm and is likened unto a tree planted near running waters and producing fruit in due season, all this is to be attributed principally to the stream of grace issuing from the sacrifice of the mass. Christian perfection must be acquired and be preserved by the spirit of sacrifice, and the supernatural heroic spirit of sacrifice can be drawn only from this perennial fountain. The world idly suffers itself to be fairly inundated with blessings without asking where the fountain of these blessings is just like the Egyptians who allowed the Nile to irrigate their lands without inquiring for its source. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all things to myself. John twelve thirty two. The power of Jesus to attract souls has not waned during the centuries. Rather, it is seen to increase in sweetness and effectiveness. In the language of Isaiah, our Lord expects us to draw water with joy out of the Savior's fountains. But people must first be brought to these fountains of living water, which are found in the sacrifice of the Mass and in the sacraments. It is here our Savior draws all hearts to himself. You were at that time without Christ, bringing aliens from the conversation of Israel and strangers to the Testament, having no hope of the promise and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who sometime were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Oremus. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity. Mankind will be given a time of peace and the church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. That prayer, of course, by Bishop Schneider. And now a prayer to St. Joseph for a soul in purgatory by Father Calloway. St. Joseph, reigning in heaven with Jesus and Mary, intercede for the souls in purgatory. Today in particular, I ask you to turn your gaze to the soul who is most forgotten in purgatory. This soul longs to see the face of God, O good Father. Ask the Holy Trinity to take this soul to the glory of heaven today. Remember me, St. Joseph, when I die. I beg you to be prompt in delivering me from purgatory so that I can see you, Jesus, and Mary face to face. Amen. 
Virgo potens, ora pro nobis, sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis, in nomine patris, et fili, et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know, and please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis. Goodbye, and God love you. <laughs>